Hello and welcome to MacBytes, episode 127. I'm Mike Thomas, and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And in this episode, it's Zoom, Doom, and Gloom. You forgot one. Did I? It's Apple. Boom. Boom. Oh. Oh, yes, boom. <laughs> yes. And as luck would have it, first story, WWDC. Boom. Well, so much promised. So much rumoured. Yes, let this event be a salutary lesson in listening to rumours. Did you read about the Apple glasses, the newly designed IMAX? It was going to be an opera-esque giveaway. Gift giveaway. And what exactly happened? Hmm. None of that for a start. I even watched the video in Rediment. And the first question on my mind with these glass things, why? But Google had a product called Google Glass, didn't they? They did. Not that I ever actually saw that reach the light of day in terms of, you know, be available for sale in a shop. Case of follow my leader. Would you buy? How significant price? I would not be comfortable in some t- in front of somebody who was wearing glasses if had a camera on it. But the rumour was it wouldn't. My initial reaction is why? And then no. But I said that about the Apple Watch. So ha- did I. Having watched a concept video, I thought notifications appearing in front of your eyes on the display. How dangerous is that? Do you remember that car thing that was supposed to be coming? I remember that, yeah. Like a heads-up display? Yeah. It was one of the, like, you know, like a Kickstarter? Mm. And the date get kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed. I don't think that ever saw the light of day. I mean, people can't handle cars, you know, just turning right. Heaven help us if, if we had displays like that. It probably got banned for dangerous ability. That's a good word. Oh, I can imagine. Just made that up, I think. Um, yeah, the next thing I thought was charging them. Because, yes, um, you know, I, I, I charge my watch overnight. Sometimes I charge my watch during the day when it, it you know, gets down to like 2%. But as a glasses wearer in everyday life, what do I do when I need to charge them you know, in the middle of the day? What if I'm in the, in the middle of driving and they fail? Obviously, you just have to be far more organised and take a power pack with you. I didn't think of that, but obviously, I haven't driven a car for about four months. But um, you know, once this pandemic, I remember running, driving. Yeah, it sat outside. <laughs> yeah, it's not moved. You know, for the for this first release as well, uh, I think there's there's too much reliance on the iPhone. Can I make a point? Yeah, yeah. Air quote for the first release. What release? <laughs> Never happened. <laughs> Everyone was so good. I think Apple put that out deliberately and they had no intention. But I did check the entire video out. Um, there was no camera, but there was a LiDAR sensor. Thrilling. Um, but the camera was deemed to be, and I quote, hostile. Well, yeah, we've all been saying that for ages, but never mind. £500, obviously yours would be more if it was um, a prescription thing. Like you say, too reliant on the watch. Um, and then, as I've done all this research before we went into WWDC, and I, I'm calculating, like, I know what I said about the watch, so I've got to be open-minded about the mythical glasses. I then read on to the bottom. I don't know if you read onto this. Um, if it doesn't happen at WWDC, I thought, what do you mean? 
this is supposed to be a WWDC shoe-in, um, then it'll be the one more thing for the iPhone 12 launch. We've not even got WWDC over with at this stage, bear in mind. But it wouldn't be released till March or June in 2021. And then the next issue is, well, actually, it could be quarter four 2021 or even quarter one 2022. I don't think I've looked at rumours in a long time because rumours used to be it's coming next week. And now we seem to be planning two years ahead with them. But then it said it may be earlier if the press were allowed to an iPhone event in quarter four 2020. (laughs) Don't see that happening, do you? Not really, no. (laughs) No, there was some weirdness with it. It docked upside down and there was a wireless charging case. The display was on both of the lens, but it's not a projection thing. Um, Banged on about the UI being starboard and the iPhone being springboard. But there wouldn't be speakers with it, you know, like built in. No, because that's what the AirPods are for and that costs extra. So after doing all of that research to be ready for it, not even a whisper. I was distraught. But of much more interest to me was the predicted new iMac with the extra predictions of Apple Silicon, which we did actually see. Whoa, there was me getting the credit card all thawed out. I know. I fall for it every time. Doubtless, there will be an iMac arriving, probably ASAP. Doubtless, still be sporting Intel chips. But what to do? By a tried and somewhat trusted system, uh, it would be three years younger than my current iMac. Or wait and get the shiny, shiny. But that could be two years away. There is no chance that this current iMac will see another two years frontline duty. I swear it won't. Mm, so that was where I was at. I was pondering. But we did get something, didn't we? Or have you totally forgotten? No, remind me again. We got a video show. Did we like a video show or did we prefer it live? I don't mind either way, to be honest. Um, It worked well, but... They went for the cast of thousands approach again, and I, I've never been a fan of that. We have no clue who half of them are. There was Craig, of course. Ooh. But even he couldn't save me from my horrified reaction to the name. Yes, they really did call it Big Sir. I'm not calling it that. At Magbite's headquarters, it's Biggles. Mac OS Biggles. Don't you think that would have been a much better name? I do, yes. And to be honest, I haven't even done the Catalina thing yet. So at that rate, Biggles will get installed in 2022. Oh, just in time for the glasses. Oh, how handy. Unless, of course, I get a new Mac at some point after Biggles is released. Ooh. Huge changes with Biggles. And with it comes the worry of will every workflow I currently have be rendered useless? Because that's what usually happens. And this update's a bit of a biggie, isn't it? If you'll pardon the pun. Yeah, that's my concern as well. Mm, Can't hang around, though, when they've made that bigger change to the interface. Because if you stick with an older one, including Catalina, and haven't even moved there yet... Your tutorials look dated. So I fear moving is not going to be an option this time. Which was the one that introduced the flat interface? 
because it was the same with that. No idea. Was it not El Cap? Was it Mavericks? No idea. Can't remember. But when they brought the flat interface in, it was like, you can't argue, you've just got to go with it because otherwise everything looks well dated. Uh, but that wasn't all. There was iOS 14, iPadOS. And can I just say, I'm going to start with this. It could have been worse. Do you remember all the excitement from Apple last year over makeup on Memojis? I certainly do. Makeup on Memojis. Anyway, this year, better, worse, widgets, home screen management. Highlight of the entire keynote, obviously, jiggle mode. Craig got quite excited with that, didn't he? Then it got very scary. They mentioned the word automatic in relation to a feature. Now, Apple, I've gone at that point. Automatic. Um, wasn't that in relation to organising icons into little dinky folders? And moving them into an alphabetical order was mentioned as well. But I was busy sobbing in a corner at that point. All my icons are so carefully arranged. Apple, no. No, no, no. Make it easier for me to organise them, but, but not automatic. It will never end well. What did you think of the scribbling? I like scribbling. Look good. I thought it looked decent, but I have researched the Apple Notes app because they've said they'd added so much to it, it was going to be marvellous. Oh, dear. <laughs> I, I, after much research, mm, grossly lacking was the phrase I came up with. Do you know the writing in it isn't even vector-based? And there's no Zoom. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm working with good notes or notability, I'm zooming in and out all the time. No, vector-based. Mm, You're not bothered. Does it matter? Does it matter? Oh, yes. You're making because notes. Because when you come to export the notes from Apple Notes and it creates a PDF, uh, any attachments that you've got in it are exported as is, but your actual notes, the handwritten notes on a page, are exported at about an eighth of a size of the page. But it is like an object that you can stretch out. And when you stretch it out and you then can zoom in because you've exported at that point, it's fuzzy. Grossly oh. fuzzy. So, yes, it matters hugely, mm. Mike. Hugely. Well, I never export anyway. I just delete them when I've finished. There's always one, isn't there? While well, the rest of us are trying to be organised, just just on a mad deletion spree. Um, I, th I think I'd say there's lots of incremental improvements, but I tend not to get excited until it's actually released because there's no way I'm touching the beta. That way, madness lies. So it could just be me keeping an eye out for the soon to be extinct, lesser spotted Intel iMac. But I am keeping my ear firmly to the ground over that one. But I still don't know what I would actually do with it. Are you in the market for a new iMac or do you think that yours will last another two years? I'm going to cross my fingers that it'll last another two years. It doesn't get as much hammer as yours, does it? No, no. Mine is on 24-7, isn't it? Shall we actually come clean with something at this Go point? On. It's actually 5.58 a.m. I'll just let that sink in. Now, before you all think I've totally lost my mind, because I don't do mornings, I've not actually been to bed yet. <laughs> it's very important we get this out today, isn't it, Mike? It is. So I let Mike rest, I let Lola rest, but I've worked all through the night for this. 
I think that's definitely worth a thumbs up on something somewhere, don't you? Yes. The dedication to the job. Oh, mm. and can I just say, those birds that start singing at three o'clock mm, want dealing with, with something mechanical. Just saying. But that wasn't the only thing that got me going, was it? No. There was something else that got you going. Absolutely. The test and trace system. Did you follow along with this story when it very first started? Or were you just busy trying to stay alive? I didn't really get involved, no. <laughs> Funny that. Neither did Apple or Google. Uh, the government gave them short shrift. Apple started creating a system and then Google got involved with it. And then basically they're working together. They're cooperating. And what were the UK doing? I doubt even they knew what they were doing at that moment. But the consensus a few weeks back was they were going it alone. Oh, it's like Brexit all over again. But what could go wrong with their Lone Ranger stance? Well, to be honest, what couldn't go wrong with it? After a suitable amount of hot air and bluster, guess what? They went back, cap in hand, to Apple. So as I was researching this, I thought, what were they thinking? Um, anyway, they are now, this was literally yesterday, which to me is still today, but that's because I've not been to bed. Other story. Other story. Um, there was actually a piece and Apple and the British government are now trading public insults like two kindergarten children scrapping at wet playtime. Not like it's a global crisis or anything. But anyway, never mind the government and Apple. Did you know you can do all this yourself? No, go on. Well, you know Rory Keflin-Jones, BBC technical correspondent? Mm. he decided he would investigate the technical side of the track and trace thing. There's an online course. And once you've taken it, you are qualified to track people. <clears throat> Is it just me that can see something slightly wrong with that? It's state-sanctioned stalking. No good is going to come of this, I swear it will. Mark my words, this will all go badly wrong, I'm telling you. Uh, did I take the course? No. Can I talk about my mug? Go on. Mike bought me a mug. It says it's far too peoply out there. Oh, you must have had the second sight at Christmas, Mike. It is indeed far too peoply out there. I don't need to be tracked and traced anywhere. Well, moving back to Mac things, I finally decided to upgrade from High Sierra to Mojave. Hang on a minute. You can't just say that. That deserves much more of an intro than that. Here you go. Yeah, I finally decided to upgrade from High Sierra to Mojave. That's better. Off you go. First question you're probably thinking is, why? Well, there's lots of apps there that are no longer either support or probably will no longer support anything older than Mojave. So I was pretty much forced into it. Before doing the deed, I duly made a backup of my hard drive which resulted in me reclaiming about 400 gig of space on that How much? 400 gig. What have you been doing with it? Well, not so long ago, I had over 500 gig free on my one terabyte hard drive. And then suddenly, I only had 200 gig free. That was mainly due to all the recordings that I've been doing of my after-hours sessions. So I moved those over to another drive and started moving and removing a load of other stuff. 
For a start, there was 40 gig of Google Drive cache files that I deleted. There was a no longer used VM of 17 gig and loads of other files that I moved to the cloud. But I still only had about 400 gig of free space. Anyway, I made my carbon cloner backup overnight and in the morning, the space fairies must have been because I had 820 gigabytes of free space on my hard drive. Oh, wow. Send, send the space fairies my way. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's very bizarre, that. Anyway, installing Mojave was pretty painless. It took about an hour. And to be honest, you can hardly tell the difference. <laughs> well, there were a few differences. The typing backwards in Spotify problem was resolved for a start. If you're not familiar with that one, a few months ago I was in Spotify typing in the search and I started typing backwards. I thought I'd had a too many glasses of Merlot, so I closed the app down and I tried again and it was okay. But this kept happening even when I wasn't drinking Merlot, so I googled it and it's a known issue on High Sierra. You know when you prep something for a show and then that something changes? Well, oh, yeah. here's an example. All the time. Yeah, here's an example. One night last week, I was in Spotify on my newly updated to Mojave Mac. I typed 80s, 80s into the search box because you know I'm an 80s boy. And it came out as S08. I'll just let you think about that for a second. <laughs> Yes, Can I ask the a bug. question here? Yeah. Why have I never seen it do that? I don't know. Are you special, Mike? I'm special, and not in a good way. No, not in a good way. Anyway, the bug is back. Actually, I don't think it ever went away. Another fixed issue, although now I'm scared to say fixed, was airdrop. Oh, never say fixed an airdrop in the same sentence. No. I don't know if it was just me, but on High Sierra, when I wanted to airdrop something from my phone or my iPad to my iMac, I had to have a finder window open, make sure it was the active window, and click on airdrop in the sidebar. Otherwise, the Mac wouldn't be listed as an option to send from my phone. I have to I'd sacrifice a chicken with that as well stand on one leg and whistle dandy and if i'm lucky it might appear so i think you got off quite lightly i didn't try that one i'll try that next time but as i say i could quite happily airdrop files to you without you having to do that but now when i tap airdrop on my phone and my mac is listed you know i can just do it happy bunny happy days the only other difference I've found is that when you quick look an audio file or a video file, you now get a timeline with a proper play button and a pause button. Nothing major, but just looks nicer. But apart from that, as I said, same old, same old, really. Including typing backwards in Spotify. Mm. Do you know, you've got to wonder how. Seriously, it's like, surely if you wanted to, if you wanted your computer to do that as a developer, you'd really have to try, wouldn't you? Because it's pretty much a given when you type, it just types. It doesn't type backwards. I don't know how you do it. But I know the specific app updates that bothered you. The ones you were really 
updating for. Worth another drum roll? Not given your recent experiences, no. Oh, excellent point. But it was the iWork updates that couldn't be installed on anything older than Mojave. Which leads us neatly on to the iWork 10.1 updates. Would that these updates were as good as Apple clearly think they are. They've killed iBooks author. Said to the tune of they've killed Kenny. Yes, my beloved iBooks author. Now, admittedly, been in its death throes for years due to Apple's inertia, but finally laid to rest 1st of July. Replaced with... Never mind that. This this is definitely not getting a drum roll. Replaced with half-baked features in pages that are nowhere near ready for prime time. They are shockingly bad. I started doing some research. You know that rabbit hole you really shouldn't go down. And the further you get down it, the worse it gets. That. There were instructions for recreating a book from iBooks author in Pages. I thought, what do you mean recreate? If the update to Pages lets you open an iBooks author file, shouldn't it just look the same? So I got MacBooks, MacBytes the iBook out. Remember episode 64? Yep. Oh, next episode. It will be twice that. Just saying. Well, I got MacBytes the iBook out and I looked at it in iBooks author. I thought, yep, everything's there. OK, that's what it looks like. And then I made a copy of it. <laughs> Never trust the conversion process with the original. You're not kidding. So I had a copy, opened it in pages. Where do I start? It was that bad. But the thing that got me was there was, well, the, the trouble started at page one. The cover had gone. It had vanished. But there was a folder of unsupported materials, which basically had half my book in it. And one bit of which was the cover. And the instructions for recreating a book cover are unbelievable. Literally unbelievable. You have to do it by hand. They rip the cover out, put it in this folder, and then you have to convert the file manually yourself and stick it back in. There are no words. There are no words. But they did add things like support for embedded videos from YouTube and Vimeo. Why? A pages file would need to be an editable file to use them. I'm assured and appreciate that there are some uses in education. But generally speaking, who in their right mind hands out their own materials in an editable format like a pages file? Wouldn't you just create a PDF? As Jonathan said in an episode of Marooned at MapBytes headquarters, he'll only get excited when he can print that out. Don't think we're there yet, Jonathan. Not by a long way. And not satisfied with um, insulting pages users' intellect with things like that. They've added that to numbers as well. The same embedder video in your spreadsheet feature. Shakes head sadly. Luckily, there was some good news on the numbers front. Some new functions. XLOOKUP from Excel and RegEx from Google Sheets. Hmm, no points for originality then. And as for Keynote... Get the popcorn out, Mike. We could be a while here. Oh, indeed. After 14 years of waiting, 
and I have requested and requested and requested. How many times have I said, Mike, you need to be able to present to a window? Many. (laughs) Understatement. Because I've been presenting online since 2000. That system we had back then had supported 16 colours. It was it was like doing a web conference on a Sinclair spectrum. But every time you needed to present your slides, that was it. Couldn't see a thing. Nothing. It was a given that we needed that. And it's taken the COVID worldwide pandemic to actually get them to think about it. But... After 14 years of waiting, they try to fob me off with something that looks like it was designed by an engineer whose last trip out to a presentation was in 1962. It is beyond help. It's that bad. Um, But across the entire suite, they have actually put in um, titles and captions for things in all of them. You know, when you put a shape on, it can now Mm. have a title and a caption. So they added that as well. Shall I start with something that actually works? Because it shocked me as well. You can play videos across slides. So previously there were issues with that. You would embed a video on slide one and then copy and paste it onto slide two or duplicate the slide. And maybe you want to change the colour or change the size of the video between slide one and two. But the playback was limited to a single slide. So the second you went on to slide two, the video restarted. Again, that, that's fairly basic as far as I'm concerned. That you would want a video on slide one and then as you transition to slide two or three, it's the same video, so just keep playing from where you were. It now does that. But the biggie was you can present in a window. Uh, now, for a lot of people, they may not think that they would need that, but it is necessary. And how long have I been saying that the option should be there? Oh, many, many, many years. Am I happy? Mm, No. (laughs) It's there. It's a start. But to say it has a long way to go is an understatement. It can present in a window. So instead of taking over all your screens. So I have three. Sometimes I have four with an iPad. Keynote takes over all of them. There's no way to stop it. You can elect to not use presenter view, but it still blacks out the screens. So useless. Um, So now you can present to a window. So just think a standard window on your computer. You can present to that. You could then share that presentation window in your virtual conferencing applications. That's exactly the use case. You can navigate forward from slide to slide with the mouse. But you can't navigate backwards. You can only navigate backwards with the arrow keys. So the arrow keys can take you forward and backwards. Right, that's it. That's all it does, literally. Now, I will forgive you if you think, well, that's enough, surely. No, it's not. Where shall I start? You can't see your speaker's notes. Absolutely zero point in having them then, is there? There is no way to selectively navigate the presentation. So I can't decide how I need to jump from slide eight to slide 15. There's no annotations. There's no laser pointer. And there isn't a fully clean interface for the window either. You've got menu bars at the top. You've got um, a window menu when you hover over it. It's it. Words fail me. Words totally fail. I wasn't happy, was I? No. 
I was so giddy and then I installed it that things started to go downhill from there. But never want to give up. Oh, no, not with presentations. That's my business. I thought, hang on a minute. Hmm. What if I used Keynote Remote, either on a phone or on an iPad, hooked it up to the computer with the window on it that I'm presenting to? Would Keynote Remote work if you are presenting in a window? Luckily, the answer to that was yes. So, the reasons to do that are it gives you, obviously, you need to buy the iPad nor the phone now. <laughs> nicely done, Apple. Nicely, nicely done. But now you would have access to your speaker's notes on the iPad. You would be able to selectively navigate because you have full navigation on your iPad. Um, you could add annotations to it. You could use the laser pointer. And it gives you a fully clean interface for the window that you're actually sharing in your virtual conferencing system. So you just need to be basically a multi-handed magician with 20 years of experience to get the job done. But it is actually possible. Do you know, there are many, many people do not know that Keynote on the phone or the iPad is actually the old Keynote remote. At least when there was an app called Keynote Remote, people knew what it did. It did what it said on the tin. With me? Yeah. Um, but they don't know now. You would have to have the presentation on the desktop one that you're sharing. The iPad is the answer to it. But Apple have not said that in any of the release notes. They've not mentioned what's missing and how to get it back. Um, the other issues you've got, there are no way to fix some of these. Um, when you're sharing in a virtual conference and you're sharing your keynote window, there is no support for third-party annotation tools. So things like Mouse Pose, Demo Pro, you name it, not supported, because you are only sharing a single keynote window. Potentially, there are ways around that, which Somebody experienced could try, but I wouldn't recommend it if you're not, which is you could share an area by drawing around it in something like Zoom and not share the window, just share an area that you have drawn around. If you do that, then your third party annotation tools would work. But if you move that window, then you won't be sharing the right thing. So it would it would be tricky. Um, and the other thing is you can't actually stop and restart your presentation either, because the second that window that you're presenting to disappears, which it would if you stop the presentation, um, your share is actually closed. So your attendees are then seeing nothing, basically. Shall we say it's got some way, way to go? I think they should pay me millions to go in and tell them what's wrong with it. Mind you, I do that on the show for free, don't I? <laughs> repeatedly and one day they might take some flaming notice it's all right i get back on my valium now moving on to new toys let's first of all have a look at uh, microsoft teams and microsoft teams itself isn't that new but it's something that has i guess suddenly come to the fore as uh, as covid has hit us um, you, 
as I said, you've probably heard of Microsoft Teams. Like Zoom, everybody is talking about it, even if they're not actually using it. And like Zoom, it's a service that was originally aimed at businesses, but is now being used in non-commercial situations. So what exactly is Teams? This is the question that a lot of people have said to me. They've said, I've heard of this Microsoft Teams thing. Um, they've seen it advertised on the TV, but what exactly is it? It's a chat-based collaboration platform, very similar to Slack. It has other functionality like document sharing and screen sharing and online meetings for both audio and video. And in the business world, Microsoft are branding it as a replacement for Skype for Business. They've already sunsetted. There's another one of our favorite uh, MacBytes terms. They've already sunsetted Skype for Business. And at the end of July next year, the service will be terminated completely. Don't worry, though, this doesn't affect what I call personal Skype or consumer Skype, the Skype that most of us use on a regular basis. Swear at consistently, you mean? Yes, just like Keynote. Yes. When Microsoft bought Skype in 2011, they took the best bits, added some functionality like the ability to have 250 people in an online meeting and called it Skype for Business. It was basically a replacement for another Microsoft product called Link. The original Skype product, which we all know and love, well, maybe not love, was still and still is kept separate. In July 2018, Microsoft announced a free version of Teams, similar to the paid for version, but with some limitations. So things like fewer users and less storage. And they also recently announced a personal version of Teams for use with friends and family. Although there's not many details available at the moment for that. Teams for Home, as Microsoft likes to call it, will be available later this year. That's a terrible name. I would have thought Microsoft Family would have been better. Yeah, I think you're right. Does that sound like Slack to you? It does sound very much like Slack and, and, you know, the press call it Microsoft's version of Slack. So, yes, it does. Mm. We've been using Slack for a couple of years internally and we extended that use to MacBytes just in time for lockdown, didn't we? And mm. it's been fantastic to keep the conversation going between shows. <clears throat> now, before you start laughing and contemplating the gap between shows... During lockdown, that's not been long at all, has it, Mike? 24-hour no. turnaround. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> um, another app that I found useful is um, the Farago. I'm a long-time user of Audio Hijack, first Mac app I ever bought. And since then, I've bought every app that Rogue Amoeba have brought out, like Loopback for creating virtual audio devices, uh, sound source, complete management of audio output. Their latest is Farago, uh, which is Latin for a variety of things, and it's a soundboard app. Now, I've had probably five or six different soundboard apps in the time I've had a Mac. Do you know the company that made the first one I bought? Wish I'd never bothered. Can you guess? Go on. Ambrosia. Don't ask. <laughs> Activated licensing that, that's no longer supported. Um, but Farago is a soundboard app that lets you create a collection of audio clips. And it's perfect for radio jingles. Hence, we're using it on Marooned at MapBytes headquarters, um, MapBytes and Brooklyn's 196. It's not just clips, it's actually like sound effects as well. So we've actually got music in it, haven't we, for 
the Brooklyn shows. Um, we've got jingles in it for the Brooklyn shows. We've got all the MacBite stuff in it. It is a very niche application. But if you have a radio show or you want to do a live podcast, then I would say it's essential. The only other way that I could think of that, that you would be able to do it would be in something like VLC. And VLC is a bit integrated with the system in terms of if you start playing something else, VL, VLC stops playing. <laughs> which can be quite scary when you're going live like what's happening something's stopped um it's 49.99 for a single license um, but that can be used on all your personal macs and it is actually incredibly useful you could use that in zoom couldn't you it wouldn't have to be a radio station you could actually use that in a virtual conference if you wanted yeah you might need a helper app to get it rooted through it which is where audio hijack comes in um, but all of their apps are just absolutely amazing. And, and they do a bundle as well. But there is the number one app we've been using, isn't there? There is. And let's let's talk about that app. It's, it's what I call the app of the moment, and that is Zoom. Because it seems to me that everyone is Zooming. Even my <laughs> mother. She mailed me a few weeks ago and she asked how she could FaceTime with my nephew. Why she didn't ask my brother, who's my nephew's father. I don't know. My brother might not be technically inclined, but he does have an iPhone. Anyway, once I told her, the next day she sent me another email asking, what is Zoom and is it any use to me? Well, how do you explain Zoom to a non-technical, nearly 77-year-old? She teaches elocution at a school, so I said to her that if any of the kids wanted one-to-one -one lessons whilst the school was closed because of COVID, it would be perfect. She said that she wasn't actually planning to do any teaching during lockdown, so that's where the conversation ended. Until a few days later, when she said that a few of her friends were having socials via Zoom and she wanted to join in. This is how it happens. Yes. <laughs> I explained that she didn't actually need a Zoom account to join someone else's Zoom meeting, but she wanted one anyway. So we set her up. Exactly. See what I mean? We set her up. Incentivization, it is. Yeah. We set her up with a free Zoom account. She only lives three or four miles away, but with social distancing and shielding, we had to do it via FaceTime with her holding her iPhone up to the laptop screen, which is Windows, by the way, so I could talk her through it. Oh, and I had to explain how to put the call on speaker on the phone so she could hold the phone in her hand and still hear me and talk to me. So now she's a happy bunny. She's using it to keep in touch with friends. She uses it to play bridge as the bridge club that she belongs to used to meet face to face, but they've taken that online. And we both sadly attended a funeral of a family friend that was streamed live via Zoom. The funeral, may I add, was exceptionally well done. I've also used it to provide parental support, logging into her computer and taking control of it. More of that shortly. Getting away from my mum for a minute, over the years we've both used, now that's you and I have both used when I say both, not me and my mother. Yes, not you and your mother. <laughs> We both used a variety of virtual tools for delivering training and running MacBytes Lives. Yeah, I don't see my mother running a MacBytes Live anytime soon. The day might come the way it's going. This is true. But, you know, we've used WebEx, we've used Skype, we've used Connect, we've used YouTube, and that's just a few. 
but none of these tools has had as many configuration settings as Zoom does. If you go into the preferences, there's all kinds of useful settings, although some of them are only available to paying customers. We actually found an interesting setting whilst responding to a query from a friend. This friend was using Zoom to run and participate in a church prayer group. He was using an iPad to participate in the Zoom meeting and his problem was that when he played a guitar via Zoom, the sound at the participant's end became very thin as he described it. He tested it in Zoom and Facebook and it was fine in Facebook but the problem was not everyone in that church group are in Facebook. But I'll leave you to talk about the solution, seeing as you found it. Well, as you say, Zoom has the most amazing array of options. And you probably never bother with the majority of them, unless you are, as I was, in a troubleshooting situation. The settings are also in more than one place, which doesn't help matters. There are local settings on the device that you're actually using, but there are also global settings which you access via the account on zoom.us which is interesting when you think about your mother where you said she didn't need an account if she hadn't got an account then she wouldn't have been able to go in and change those settings so you would have a kind of limited way of doing it but the setting in question was an echo suppression option now it's useful on a corporate video conference um, but it's disastrous if you're trying to relay the sounds of a guitar um, to suppress the echo it simply cuts low frequency sound and the effect of that is to cut half the warmth of the guitar, hence it's sounding thin. So all you need to do is to go into the website part of your account and toggle off the echo suppression. And then your virtual orchestra is good to go again. Mm, excellent uh, suggestion. Now, security. You could say that Zoom has been a victim of its own success. It's seen a huge jump in the number of users. And every day there's a story of someone's Zoom meeting being Zoom bombed. Now, if you're not familiar with the term Zoom bombed, it's where an uninvited guest attends your meeting and causes virtual damage. For example, posting some inappropriate comments in the chat or taking over the screen sharing and displaying inappropriate content. To their credit, Zoom have worked hard to fix these issues. They've put development of new features on hold and focused on these security flaws. Considering they're a small company with a relatively small user base, I think they've responded brilliantly. And let's be honest, no system is impenetrable. No, I completely agree. It's sad, really, that they got such a bad rep. I think that happened with that thing of about 18 months ago where it installed some kind of server component that couldn't be uninstalled and Apple rolled out a silent update to, to nuke it. Some of the changes that they have made have made our job way more difficult, but I can see why they've done it. Proves the point about letting muggles in, doesn't it? The more muggles mm. you add, the, the number of things that can go wrong. One, they will go wrong, and two, it increases exponentially. Hopefully, it will calm down again soon, and Zoom will be way more secure than it ever has been before. Yeah, and yeah, talking about security, um, let, let me give you a few tips for running a secure meeting. First of all, use a meeting password. Meeting passwords are now enabled by default and it's recommended that you leave them enabled. The default actually is six numbers, 
which I don't think is that secure. So I would suggest changing it to something that includes letters and non-alphameric num um, alphameric, alphanumeric numbers as well. The map fights teeth. <laughs> yes, the teeth, right. Let's move on. Thing is, you'd be better using words, wouldn't you? You know, in terms of it, if you if you've got even just six numbers, I agree, six numbers isn't long enough to be that secure. But you could still look at the number and then type in something completely different because you you've gone kind of numerically dyslexic. That's true. I... Whereas if it's a word, as long as you can spell it, you know, I I think it is easier. Yeah. I think it's the same said for passwords. Yeah. Now, if you're worried about meeting attendees having to type a long password in, don't be, because if they use the meeting link that is sent to them, they'll actually bypass the please enter meeting password prompt. And if you think that's not secure, it is because the meeting link contains an encrypted version of the password. The next tip is to use the waiting room. Zoom has a waiting room feature. Um, think of it as a virtual lobby and attendees joining the meeting are placed into the waiting room and then admitted into the meeting by the host. The waiting room is now enabled by default, which gives the host more control over who attends the meeting. The only problem... A virtual lobby. A virtual lobby. A virtual lobby. Do you know what I think of it as? Go on. A sheep pen. Ah, I didn't <laughs> think of that. Maybe I'll use that description in my future training courses. The only problem I have with the uh, the virtual lobby, or sheep pen as we're now calling it, is that um, when people appear in there, what their name shows up as is whatever their name is when they've logged in. Um, so for most people, it is their name, but sometimes it's things like iPad1234, and you're thinking, who is iPad1234? Well, that would only happen if they didn't have an account. So the best practice would be to get an account because then you will automatically log in with your name. But if you don't have an account and you log in on a device, it will use the device ID. Yeah. Which could be... Can you imagine years ago logging in with iPad Cyril? <laughs> Some some of my device names are not fit for sharing. Or Serenity or Butterfly or... Do you remember Dionysus? Or Di yes. The god of revelry and party and wine. <laughs> Just like the name. Um, okay. Nothing the wrong with my, my equipment. There's name. nothing wrong with I've your names I've got an iPad called Fur as well. Nothing wrong with your names at all. It's just when they appear in a Zoom meeting. Um, yeah, the next tip is don't reuse a meeting ID. Now, every meeting has a unique 11 digit meeting ID, and it's very tempting to reuse that ID as it'll save you time creating a new meeting. I know of several social organisations who reuse the same meeting ID for their monthly meetings. Not only does this save the organiser time, it means that the attendees don't have multiple meeting IDs to manage. Although if the meeting IDs were added to a calendar, that would be a moot point. Now, there is a downside to reusing a meeting ID, and that is that attendees from previous meetings who have the ID could attend future meetings. Meeting IDs that are in the public domain, and if we think back uh, a few months to when uh, we all started using Zoom, including the British government, and uh, Boris took a, uh, a photo of him and the team in a Zoom meeting, and he took one of the screen, and there at the top left-hand corner was the meeting ID. Well, they are particularly susceptible. And it only That's takes... That's the British government. 
I'm saying nothing. It only takes two minutes to create a new meeting, so it is worth the investment of the time. If you have one meeting each month, create 12 meetings in Zoom. I know it's a pain, but in the long run, it's more secure. Everyone who signs up to a Zoom account gets a personal meeting ID. It's a dedicated 10-digit number, and this is their personal virtual room. And if your personal meeting ID is used to schedule a meeting, anyone who has your personal meeting ID could at any time access your personal virtual room. To avoid this, when scheduling a meeting, don't use your personal meeting ID. With a pro account, you can change the personal meeting ID, but if you have a free Zoom account, you can't. You've not mentioned the number one reason not to reuse a, a room. You've forgotten because you never use this feature. But it has happened and embarrassing things have happened. You know, you said um, they would be able to attend the second instance of the meeting if they had the username and password. Yeah. It's not just that. If you go into your first meeting and you hold your first meeting and you use all the features that are available and then you go in into that room again, repurposing it in another meeting, all of the content of the multiple virtual whiteboards remain from meeting number one. Don't do that. Somebody's bound to have drawn something wholly inappropriate that you would not want to appear in meeting number two. So start again. New meeting all the time. Good thinking. I think my number one tip is learn how to use the system. And that comes from a trainer. <laughs> <laughs> true. It's true. Yeah, seriously. You do not want the first time you are going to use a feature to be when you are hosting a meeting thinking, I wonder how this works. <laughs> seriously, there's a whole range of features that can help make your meeting a success. And the key is knowing what they are and how to use them. For example... Once everyone is in the meeting, the host can lock it to prevent others joining. Don't use that one. <laughs> that happened to me. Um, I, ca I can understand that it would completely preclude any Zoom bombing. But if an attendee, in which in this circumstance, I was the attendee, uh, my connection dropped and then I couldn't re-enter the meeting. There's no, there's no way to even send a message and say, you know, knock, knock, let me in. You just can't, you just can't attend the meeting. So don't use that one. Nice idea. Doesn't actually work. Another thing is that to know about is that uninvited attendees can be removed. Uh, screen sharing can be limited to the host and anyone um, the host chooses. In fact, in the latest update, screen sharing is set to host only by default. During the meeting, the host can allow others to share their screen, although I was hoisted by my own petard with this one recently whilst doing parental support. I asked my mum to click share screen so I could see what her problem was, and she clicked it and she said, there's a message, the host has disabled screen sharing. Luckily, <laughs> luckily it's just two clicks to enable it for her. The text chat. There's another issue with that. What's that? I mean, it wasn't as embarrassing as it could have been, but and you've not mentioned it. Um, another reason with that, I mean, 
it, I guess it's the same reason, but you've not actually given an example, which was the meeting that you attended where somebody inadvertently shared their screen and they were playing solitaire. Oh, yes. It could have been much worse. <laughs> oh, it could have been much, much worse. Won't say any more than that. Um, text chat. Text chat's very, very useful, um, but it can be disabled to prevent unwanted comments. Um, the Zoom meetings that I run are in a, a professional setting, so hopefully we won't have any unwanted and inappropriate comments, but uh, you never know. So if you wanted to disable the text chat, just be aware that you can. Another tip is always have the latest version of Zoom. You set up your meetings and you manage your account via a browser. Um, and you can attend your meetings via a browser without the need to install anything. However, by using the Zoom app, which is available for Windows, Mac, iOS and Android, you get a better experience and more options. The app has been getting regular updates, which is good. But be aware that with the updates come changes, some good and some not so good. Recent updates to the app provided security enhancements and one was around the meeting ID. This is a good change. And this is the one that I mentioned earlier that to, to get into the meeting, you just need a meeting ID and password. Uh, and, and there was Boris posting the meeting ID on Twitter. So Zoom updated the app and the meeting ID is no longer visible on screen. You now have to click an icon to display it. An interesting update came out a few weeks ago, which was not so good change. Meeting participants have always been able to mute and unmute themselves, and they still can. The meeting host can also mute and unmute individual participants. And that's very useful, given that some participants may not be able to do this for themselves. And come to mind people like the elderly and the very young and those with accessibility requirements. However, the text on the button that the host uses to mute an individual has changed from mute to ask to mute. When the host clicks it, a message appears on the participant screen that says the host would like you to unmute. And the participant has two options, stay muted or unmute. In other words, the participant has to confirm that they wish to be unmuted. Now, Zoom's reasoning behind this was privacy. Imagine that you're in the office when lockdown is over, of course, having a private conversation with a colleague. The last thing you want is for that conversation to be broadcast to the rest of the participants. But the problem, as I said, is that some people find it difficult to keep tapping a button to confirm that they want to be unmuted. It's much easier for the host to unmute them when they wish to speak. Of much more significance for me was the removal of the host's ability to unmute everyone with a single click. Again, the same privacy concerns came to mind. Zoom removed the unmute all button, although they have since added it back for meetings with less than 200 participants. But with the same, the host would like you to unmute message appearing on each participant's screen. And then to complicate matters, those participants who are not on version 5.1.0 or later of the Zoom app will not see the prompt and will have to manually unmute themselves if they wish to speak. 
We run a number of social events using Zoom with 50 to 60 people, many of whom are elderly, infirm, have poor eyesight and aren't tech savvy. And these events often include a guest speaker. We want to be able to mute everyone when the speaker is speaking and then unmute everyone when they've finished so everyone can chit chat. At least with the unmute feature restored, it's easier than when it wasn't there, but we still have to cope with people who won't see the message because they're not on the latest version, people who are infirm and have poor eyesight, and people who are afraid of responding to any message that pops up on their screen, fearing that they've been hacked. It just seems to me one unholy mess, as you like to call it. Yes, yes. There was nothing wrong with it the way it was. It's people that are the problem. We're back to my people mug. <laughs> um, the, the last tip for you is uh, for meetings that require registration, hosts can choose whether to allow participants to join from multiple devices. Now, registration, it's one of those features that is underused. It's not really needed for a family or a social meeting, but for larger meetings, it allows the host to capture information about the attendees through a registration form. And by disabling the ability for attendees to log into the meeting from multiple devices, I guess it reduces the risk of Zoom bombing because it prevents unwanted guests logging in multiple times. So hopefully for those of you who are or will be using Zoom, there's a few tips to keep you safe. It's a complete minefield. It's likely to remain so for some time. I think if we ever get beyond COVID and although having said that, I think people, are, I think more and more people will work from home. Um, but if we ever did get back to where we were, hopefully they would take account of the things they've learned from having a, a huge increase in the user base, but also acknowledge the fact that people who do know what they're doing and you already have an agreement with the people who are attending that you have the ability to mute and unmute them could do so, could at least elect to do so. Maybe they could confirm once at the beginning of the meeting that that's OK. Something like that would be a nice thing to add. It is the best in terms of the number of options that are available by a mile. But some of the changes have been quite annoying for us, haven't they? They have. But there are alternatives to Zoom. We we probably use them all over the years, haven't we? I think so. Uh, go to meeting, go to webinar. The old favourite has been around for years. It's surprising how many people are still using that, given the price by comparison to something like Zoom. Probably they've got it all set up and they stick with it. One of the things that I think is, is the worst thing I've ever seen with GoToMeeting, GoToWebinar is if you sign up for a webinar with company A and they have elected to brand the emails. So, you know, when you get your confirmation email, yeah, they've elected to brand it. And the one I'm thinking of is like bright orange when it comes in. It's not the, the subtle GoToMeeting thing. It's bright orange with a logo at the top. When you book on a webinar with company B, who have also elected to customise what the mail looks like, you get the logo from company A, which I think is really bad. I think that's worse than anything Zoom have ever done. Uh, for branding purposes, that's shocking. You could think you'd been hacked with that. You've got the title from one company. So if you think of it, I mean, it's not, but if you think of Adobe and Affinity, they both decide to brand it 
well, which which logo you will see depends on who got there first. So you could have an email in front of you that says mm. the Affinity Designer webinar and the Adobe Illustrator logo sat looking at you, which I think is shocking. That should never be allowed to happen. Um, and it's not my email client having a moment um, because it happens repeatedly across all kinds of clients. So that, that could be better. Um, WebEx. Do you remember when I complained vehemently over that one? I do. Uh, you could you could click the link. You could go into the meeting on a Mac, and it crashed repeatedly. It was just one unholy crashing party every time I tried to use it. I just started writing to the people who were using it and saying, "Are you aware this doesn't work on a Mac?" And it was probably around two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and people weren't anything like as aware of things like that, that it didn't work with the Mac. And I felt I took the same approach that I did with Opera for years on Windows. If a site didn't work on Opera, I would write and tell them that it didn't. And, you know, I'm not accepting this business of, you remember the little disclaimers at the bottom of a website? Looks better, looks best in, in Netscape Navigator 2. Yeah, no, I'm on the internet. It needs to look right no matter what I use. You know, we look back now and it's like, when was the last time you saw a message like that? But if you don't tell them it doesn't work, then how do they know? So um, with WebEx, is it a bit better? I use it occasionally. It seems stable enough, although I have had the odd crash. I thought that was the one you had um, audio issues with. I've, oh, I've had audio issues as well with that. I don't think WebEx is all there on a Mac. It's probably much better on Windows. Um, but another one, um, and some of these... They are, I would say, more on, on the edge. They're certainly not main ones. Um, but these have free options. So if you're not looking for Zoom, if you have a religious opposition to Zoom, there is one called Whereby. It used to be called Appear.in, which seemed a much better name to me. But it gives you free unlimited meetings for up to four people. So if you just want to have a small meeting, that would be a completely free solution. Um, another one is Big Marker. You heard of Big Marker? I've heard of it. I've never seen that many sessions done in Big Marker, but the one that sticks in my mind was a Microsoft session. They sent an invitation and said, you know, we're doing a session on whatever it was. I can't remember. Um, and here's the link. So I clicked the link and there was a registration page and it said, you know, Big Marker. I thought, just a minute. Microsoft have got Teams. They've got, at the time, Link. They've got Skype, Skype for business. What on earth are they using somebody else's platform for? That made no sense. Um, but it, it's a, it's one to look at. Demio. Have you tried Demio? No. I've only ever attended um, things on Demio. I've never actually presented with it. Um, it's it's more, it reminds me, the interface of um, Google Meet. So I think it's very similar to that one. There's Adobe Connect. The issue with Adobe Connect is, do you not find it incredibly difficult to find out how much it is? I've never looked. I, I've never seen a sales page. It's like that. It's weird. It's weird. Um, but I have used it, obviously used it for years and years and years. And it, it it's, our, it's one of our backups. We have more than one. But the last time that I used it, uh, we used to use it for Matt Bites Lives, but we don't really need to relay the video anymore. Uh, 
back in the day, we did. We chose to relay the video because people were at work and it only worked on Safari. And they were at work and they were on Windows, so they weren't going to see the video. Whereas if we relayed it through Adobe Connect, then they could see the video and hear it. What we used it for last time was, do you remember when YouTube just would not let me go live no matter what I did? Mm. I had to decamp everybody over to Adobe Connect. And the funny thing was, it was an affinity photo session. <laughs> the irony was not lost on the audience. Let's uh, just say that. Uh, then there is Google Meet, which was flawless and free until the last time we tried using it. Remember? I and remember. It was, it was breaking up. It was, it, it was more than a little awkward. We ended up actually using Zoom, whereas we've been using Google Meet for about, six months at that stage yeah. for this particular job. But we just moved over to Zoom and, and be done with it. Uh, then there's Teams, which you've got way more experience on than I have. Bit corporate, but as you say, there's a consumer version on the way. Is it possibly a little bit too late? Too little and too late. And I think, I know it sounds really fickle of me, but I'm not wrong. It needs a sexier name than the one they're thinking of giving it. Because if you call something, you know, for business or for home, no, it needs something snazzy. That's how come everybody, everybody understands Zoom instantly. It, We might use Zoom for an app that's called Zoom. But now if you say the word Zoom, people go, oh, that's a video conference. They, it, It's become like a hoover to a vacuum cleaner. Hasn't it? Yeah. So now, even if you mean we're going to use Skype for business, someone will say, oh, yeah, I'll Zoom that to you. So it's just become the standard. And then there's Skype for business, which you said is on the way out, going to be replaced. Skype's more of a love-hate relationship. I can never find things in Skype two days together because every time I open it, they've moved something. And I don't like that. Um, have you used On24? Once or twice. Only as a participant. Telestream insists on using it and I cannot understand why it drives me mad. It works, but it's just so different from every other platform. One of the differences from Zoom is that the participants are hidden, which I guess they, they want that. You can hide the participants on Zoom, uh, but you need um, a webinar account. I'm not sure what that's actually called. A standard, a standard Zoom account is for meetings, but there is a webinar alternative which is hugely expensive but that would hide them then there's blue jeans which they've got a focus on audio quality i've never actually attended a meeting with it and i'm wondering who's using it i've attended meetings with it is the audio as good as they say yeah when i worked with plural site um, they used it for when i had meetings with the editor i guess that would make sense because Audio is probably the most important. Mm. I mean, if the video is a bit ropey, you can always do hand signals, but <laughs> the audio has got to be decent. So maybe that's why people go with that one. Uh, I've left that one alone, to be honest. I think there are now that many platforms that, you know, you may have sort of two or three, but I don't think you're going to go for many more than that. Unless, of course, somebody wants me to present on their behalf and then I will have to use whatever they've got. Do you know what I do? I am reminded of, though, when I when I look at the list of alternatives and stuff. The fact many years ago, I was doing a presentation for somebody and he was completely anal and um, had to start bang on, on the hour, had to finish bang on the hour. You, know, you couldn't overrun by two seconds, which, as you know, from Mike, from from after hours 
Yeah, the last one was four hours, 47 minutes. But it had to happen on the hour, had to be in at the hour, out at the hour. Um, so I'm sitting there in this room thinking, bit lonely. And I was in Adobe Connect. And I'm sitting there thinking, why is nobody here? The next minute, I get a panicked email from him. Where are you? And I said, I'm sat in the room. Where are you? And he'd sent me the wrong link. So by this stage, by the time he realised I wasn't in the room that he was in, it was about two minutes to, about two minutes to the hour. He was in a complete flap. Oh, have, have I not got, you've not sent me the slides. I've not got the slides uploaded. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I said, take a chill pill. I'll present from here. And what he, what feature he was thinking of using was me send him my presentation and then him upload that to the webinar platform and then do, do the old uh, government briefing. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. That drives me insane. Can you not press a button? <laughs> but then it's the British government, probably not. So um, I said, it's fine. I'll just present my desktop. But so few people seem able or willing to do that. So I did present it from my desktop. The following week, he had somebody else there. Now, to me, I might as well do that, which I do in after hours. All I do is just share my desktop. I don't piddle around sharing windows and in and out and all of that. No need. Absolutely no. Just share your desktop. The following week, somebody else was doing a presentation. Oh, they'd done it his way. They'd sent their presentation to him. So not only, uh, so he uploaded it, but not only did we have Next slide, please. Every other slide, this presenter said, sorry about the font. It doesn't work on the web platform. And you look at these slides and they're absolutely appalling. As far as I'm concerned, I will share my screen and I will, I will present in exactly the same way, irrespective of the platform. I do not take much notice of the dedicated features of each platform because you've seen how many there are. Life's too short. I need one way to present that works, no matter what the platform is. And that's what I opt to do. Does it take courage to just open up your computer? Do you, th do you think people panic about what might be shown on the screen? Because <laughs> that doesn't happen if you share a window, does it? No. I don't think it matters. I think you just, you just need to be confident enough to present it. And anyway, people are going to stick to what they know in spite of security concerns. We know lots of people, don't we, who've never done video conferencing before. They're reading all of the stories about Zoom and they're asking all the questions. And in the end, it's like, oh, I don't I don't really trust this. But I'm going to use it anyway because I want to talk to the grandchildren and off they toddle. <laughs> Obviously, we have a professional need to use all of those systems, but the average person just wants something that lets them see the grandchildren or participate in the, late, the next virtual pub quiz. And then they're happy, irrespective of any security concerns whatsoever. Uh, can I talk about my, my, my favourite toy now? Yes, go on. I've got a new toy. I've got a new toy. Um, we're going to take a look at otter.ai, which is an automated transcription service. Tagline of which, otter voice meeting notes. That just does not do it justice. Um, it is a transcription service. It will take audio and it will turn it into type. And that tagline, they're pushing the fact it's for meetings. And for meetings, the features it has it's an online service. So you log into their website. From there, from your account, you can hook it up to your calendar, which means that you could 
um, transcribe meetings directly from the links that you would then have in your calendar. So when the meeting time comes around, you click the button, you get the Otter AI interface up in a browser and you just press the record button and it starts recording the meeting. So as I say, it doesn't even need a dedicated app on the Mac. It records straight into the browser. It also has Zoom integration. So when you are in Zoom, there is an ability to make a recording and you get two options. You can record locally. So it will save a recording of the meeting to your computer locally, or you can choose to save it to the cloud. Now, how much how many meetings and, and how long they are um, in the cloud depends on the storage you've got. And you can buy extra storage, can't you, Mike? Uh, I think you can, yes. Because at some point you're going to run out of storage. Yeah. I don't know if it's per month because I've never actually done it. I've never run out of storage. Um, but cloud recordings can be integrated into Otter. So imagine that you're in a meeting and you've clicked the record button, send it up to the cloud. And previously you have hooked Otter up to Zoom. Then as soon as the meeting's over, Otter will start processing that recording and before you know it, probably within sort of 30 minutes, you will have the full transcript of that meeting. Now, all of that was nice as far as I was concerned. That was the meeting side of it. But I haven't used any of that, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I was focused on the uploading side because it was easier for me to upload existing content that I want transcribing. So either audio which would be podcasts or audio shows or video. So YouTube videos or training videos from courses that I create. So as I say, because it runs in a browser, it can run on virtually any platform. It does have dedicated iOS apps, both for iPhone and iPad and Android. Um, I actually noticed today I was trying to do something and I just picked up the iPad and there was actually a feature on the iPad that wasn't available. Um, on the website. So sometimes you might just want to pick up the, the iOS app because it's got extra features. Now, how I use it um, for MacBytes, we've got older shows where we have very little idea what we actually talked about. That implies you know what you're talking about now. Hmm. Then there's the MacBytes after hour videos. Um, they're done live and believe me, they are unscripted. Only thing to mention here is that there is an upload limit. And it's limited to a maximum length of four hours, which you wouldn't think would prove problematic with many shows, would you, Mike? Apart from after hours. Apart from after hours. But what can I say? We get carried away. And, and anyway, it was you they were egging on last week. Shall I do one more Excel example? Yes, yes, yes. You, you were thrilling them with that, Mike. And it went on for four hours, 47 minutes. We'll crack the five hours once in one day, you know. Uh, anyway, so I transcribed those. There's the Marooned at MacBytes headquarters. Again, very unscripted. So for reference, I run each show through Otter. And YouTube videos. Uh, many of the videos I upload to YouTube are unscripted. So creating a transcript gives me an outline to reference when I'm updating the content. So something like a boot disk video, you know, I can run the video through Otter and I've got I've got a script. Now, pricing wise, I think they actually give you quite a bit for free here, but there is a bit of a gotcha. So the free level, you just create an account and you get 600 transcription minutes a month, which is 10 hours. Oh, that would be enough for two episodes 
<laughs> of our dramas, wouldn't it, Mike? You can play back and record. Uh, so you've got your recording and playback and the playback speed is half speed, one speed and two speed. It will automatically attempt to identify the speakers. And what I mean by that is obviously in a MacBuy, it says Mike and I speaking. It should be able to tell the difference between us. Um, but it will come up initially and it will say speaker one, speaker two. But if you then go in and say, OK, that bit was me and that bit was Mike, it will iterate through that file and it will try and work out who said what. But once it's done that on one file, when it comes to the next one, it will kind of say, oh, is that Elaine? Is that Mike? And then it will automatically pick that up. Now, sometimes it needs a little bit of help, but the more that you correct it, the more accurate it will actually get. So I love the identify speakers bit. It will also generate a summary keywords and word cloud. So you've got an idea of what was spoken about. You can search by those keywords as well. You can also edit and create highlights from the transcript and you can share and collaborate with groups. You can also organise your recordings with folders and you can export them. So if you've done this live at a meeting, then you could export the audio file or you could export a text version of that. You can also sync your Zoom cloud recordings with it. So I actually think for free, you get quite a lot. But the one thing that you don't get in the free one, you get the opportunity to upload three files. But that's not three files in a month. That's three files ever. Just to test it works. And obviously, the majority of my content that I'm looking to transcribe is already audio files that I want to upload. So I went for a premium account, which is $8.33 a month if you go for the annual plan, $9.99 if you go for the monthly. And it gives you 10 times the number of minutes. So instead of 600, you get 6,000. So you get 100 hours of transcription minutes per month. You can import audio and video and there is no limit on that. It's not like you can only do 10. It's unlimited. You, know, you just upload what you want. You can also, when it comes to the export of what's created, the transcript that's created, you can export to PDF, you can export to DOCX and you can export to SRT, which is a subtitle file format. You can also create a custom dictionary, which was very handy for the word Macbytes. We had it spelt all kinds of ways with a Y, two words, lowercase, space. I have corrected it now that many times and put it in the dictionary. It now understands it. You can also sync audio and video from Dropbox. You've got a whole range of extra playback speeds and you can choose to skip the silences. So if there were any silences in a meeting, you know, like when somebody makes a stupid suggestion and no one wants to say anything, that you can skip those and you can do bulk import and bulk export, which is working really well for me. And you get prioritised support. There is another account, which is a Teams account, but obviously that's way more expensive and most people wouldn't want to work in a team. And if they did work in a team, then somebody else would be paying for it. Um, education wise, now the team thing is $20 per user per month. And the extra features are really collaborative team features. Um, there is an educational discount of 50%, but to get that, you need to sign up with an educational email address. 
but I am absolutely loving that. I thought I'd give it a go um, on a file. So I did, a, I did a bit of a recording, see that that worked. It did. It worked in the browser brilliantly. No problems at all. But I thought I had to, what I really need to test is uploading a file. Uh, I uploaded it, ran through it. It's not perfect. I would say it's probably 90 to 95 percent of the way there. But it's using artificial intelligence. It's not somebody sat there typing it. That would probably cost you a dollar a minute. So you can imagine that would be 6,000. It is a dollar a minute, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's a dollar a minute. So if you wanted um, an hour's show, then you're looking at $60. You're getting 6,000 transcription minutes. So that if you were paying for that, even if you're paying half, it'd still be 3,000. So I, I actually think it's really, really worthwhile. In terms of the mistakes it makes, if you actually look at it and try reading it out loud, it, it'll be phonetic. And you can go in and make corrections if you need to. I'm, I'm tending not to, as long as I've got a vague idea of what was talked about. And considering that some of the shows that, that I've processed have been pretty rough from a while ago, uh, not the best quality originals, it's done a really great job. Really great job. I've not managed to persuade Mike yet, but um, we'll see how that goes, won't we? Might tempt you over to it in the end. You never know. You never know. We'll see. Anyway, it's a bit of a quirky one. So what I thought I'd do is demonstrate the entire process. So we'll be covering that in MacBytes After Hours on Friday night, which is the 24th of July, isn't it, Mike? It, Nine o'clock. It is. That'll be one of the things we cover. I'm definitely going to be talking about Keynote as well. Just saying. Just saying. It was a bit of an issue with Keynote. <laughs> Continuing, you well know. continuing with the AI theme, a um, story that came out recently was that Microsoft is to replace dozens of contract journalists on its MSN website and use automated systems to select news stories. The curating of stories from news organisations and the selection of headlines and pictures for the MSN site is currently done by journalists. Artificial intelligence will perform these news production tasks, sources told the Seattle Times. And Microsoft said it was part of an evaluation of its business. Around 50 contract news producers lost their jobs at the end of June, according to the Seattle Time, uh, Times, but a team of full-time journalists will remain. It's demoralising to think that machines can replace us, but there you go, said one of those who uh, was made redundant. Another journalist quoted in the paper said, I spend all my time reading about how automation and AI is taking our jobs, and now it's taken mine. Some sites journalists warned that artificial intelligence may not be fully familiar with the strict editorial guidelines and could end up letting through inappropriate stories. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking, what do you mean could have you seen the Daily Mail? Of no comment. <laughs> well, my thoughts on this are that it's inevitable because in many industries, robots replace people. The car industry, for example, has been doing it for years. And AI is just an extension of that. Intelligent robots, call it that. But I do agree, like you say, AI may let through inappropriate stories. Let me give you an example of what happens when AI goes wrong online shopping recently. 
I ordered sultanas. They had none in stock, so they offered me satsumas. What's the link? Apart from the fact that one sounds like the other. Well, I guess they're both roots, but <laughs> sultanas, satsumas, no. On that basis, if I order some flour for baking, F-L-O-U-R, would they send me a bunch of flowers? What do you think? Probably. That was always my mother's fear. That's why she wouldn't do online shopping. She came round to it in the end, mind. Where do you start with something like this? I mean, there is literally no limit as to what could go wrong. Like the photo on a wildlife page on Facebook. You know one of these groups? It was a wildlife group. It was a picture of an owl. It got flagged by Facebook's AI as inappropriate for nudity. Now, admittedly, the owl didn't have any clothes on, but then it is an owl. And if it had have had clothes on, they'd probably have banned it for perversity then. Most of my seemingly endless issues with everything in life are related to what the folks on the receiving end of my annoyance call the system. It's like some living and breathing embodiment of Skynet. Have you ever had that? No. There's an, an, an organisation. Oh, you must have done this one. There's an organisation that um, I have the misfortune to have to deal with once a year uh, to renew my membership. It's a licence to print money for them as far as I'm concerned. So once a year, I ring them. Now, I have to do this because I don't want them ringing me. So I always leave it until either the 28th, 9th or 30th of June. If I can get away with it. I did do it one night, one year, didn't I? One minute to midnight. But that was the automated one. And I stopped that after that. So I will leave it until the last couple of days of the month. And then I ring the number. And I asked to speak to the membership person. And for the last three years, I have spoken to the same person who is not the membership person. And every time she said, oh, just a minute, the system's slow. I've just got to log in just a minute. It's not behaving itself today. It's been running really slow today. But the thing is that it was three years ago, two years ago, last year. So this year I thought, oh, wait for it. And I get through to the same lady. I asked for the membership. She said, she's not here at the moment. Can I help? And I thought, oh, God, <laughs> fourth year on the run. So I said, well, I'm trying to renew my membership. I'll get into the system. Just a minute. It's been running slow today. I thought, here we go. Literally, it's a carbon copy every year. Now, this year, she took it to new levels. I must have been on the phone about 15 minutes. It's, it's going slow today. Sorry. Then she came out with the classic. Now, bear in mind, they do not have my phone number. Nobody has my phone number. They might ring me uh, and that would not be acceptable. So I knew what was coming and I'm literally sitting here and mouthing the words to myself. Can I call you back? Can you give me a number? So I waited about 10 seconds and she said, it's really slow. Can I call you back? Can you give me a number? And I'm thinking it's a good job Mike's not here because he would have been rolling on the floor. So I said, no, that's not convenient. I said, can I call you back in 30 minutes? Will we have it up and running by then? So she said, just a minute. I'll give it one more go. I thought, oh, it'll work this time. So about 10 seconds later, she says, oh, it's just come up. I thought, do they do this to everyone or is it just me? Mm. It's always the system. Massive air quotes. 
It's not the system. You are a muppet using the system. That's the problem. Right, I'll finish ranting now. Carry on. Oh, thank you. Talking of AI again, um, McJim the Real posted a comment on the Map by Slack earlier this week about Grammarly. Grammarly is a service that automatically detects potential grammar, spelling, punctuation, uh, word choice and style mistakes in writing using AI. And he said, the more I use Grammarly, the more I find it lacking as it misses the most obvious grammar and spelling mistakes and it alters things that are in fact correct. He asked if anyone knows of anything better, and Johnny I replied that he's starting to lose faith in Grammarly as well. I don't actually do enough proper writing to offer my own opinion of these tools, but it does kind of prove the point about AI that it's not all there yet. True. Last week in After Hours, I did a piece on um, Ulysses 20. I've been on the beta program, and one of the huge features that they've added is an extensive grammar and style checker. It's actually based on Language Tool, which is one of Germany's number one you know, grammar tools. There are loads of options. They're not all enabled by default, but when you go into the settings, there's a whole range that you can turn on. So obviously, for demonstration purposes, I needed to go in and have a fiddle with it. And I ran a couple of my blog posts through it. You know, I was actually it was quite trepidation doing that. I was like, oh, dear, because this has been published. How bad is the grammar? Um, I put ticks in everything and then run it through. Um, it flagged up all kinds of stuff. As I say, I don't really bother with it that much. I, I, I would probably, you know, like because it's there, I'd probably run it through it. But 99% of what I write is either technical material or blog posts. And the blog posts would have like chunks of code in them. So I, w <laughs> I would say it found maybe two or three things. And I don't know about you, but I don't even understand. You know, when it puts them under a heading, it kind of groups them, doesn't it? Passive something and what whatever. I, I look at it and I think, can I make sense of it? Is it clear? And if it is, then I leave it alone. But some of these things, as I read it, I thought there's no other way to say that. Obviously, I'm talking as if um, maybe an interface is telling you something and, and that it might not be actually 100 million percent grammatically correct. But does it make sense? Can people follow along? That's all I'm really concerned about. Um, I won't trouble you with the other improvements in the newly added dashboard because it completely messed with my workflow using the old sidebar. Do you remember that book, Who Moved My Cheese? I do. I do wish developers would stop moving my cheese. But that that's for another day, isn't it? It is for another day. Now, we have another live show on Friday night when you'll be waxing lyrical about Keynote. Oh, or slamming a stake through its heart while reading a manual all about the joys of PowerPoint. Either way, we're going live at 9pm UK time, Friday night. So do join us for some fun chat and something Elaine does like. Devon think. We're doing a five-part series on deploying the mighty Devon think. So you can catch up on the first part on demand and then join us live for part two this coming Friday. And as if weekly episodes of MacBytes After Hours isn't enough, we're going live every day during lockdown. It started off as a five-part series, didn't it? <clears throat> Today's show is day 127. Do you see what we've done there? 
two episode 127 shows on the same day. One would have been impressive. Two is nothing short of a miracle. When you've done... Marunda Marbites Headquarters, it's an audio show on Marbites FM every day at 7pm UK time. We have an absolute blast chatting with you all. So do join us for some daily laughter in the midst of these very strange times. Well, that's it for this episode of Matt Bites. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments and queries by email to thecrew at macbytes.co.uk. Sign up for the newsletter at macbytes.co.uk. Catch us on Twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash thomasmike. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So, until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye, and see you next time. Have you started? Started what? Started tracking and tracing them. Tracking and tracing them? Yes, tracking and tracing them. Boris said you had to keep a very watchful eye on them. Are you kidding me? I know exactly where they are. You do? Of course I do. They haven't left the house in four and a half months. Sadly, that is actually true. Tell me about it. I can't get a minute's peace. If they head out to the bins I'm tempted to lock the doors and put the buntings up. At least I'm not quite as exhausted as usual though. How have you managed that? No diary management. No early mornings. No rushing around. Would now be a good time to mention the new job Timmy has in mind for you? What new job? The hand-washing thing. What hand-washing thing? It was in the keynote. From the autumn you'll have to supervise their hand-washing. What? Is he insane? Is he really saying grown adults have to be monitored whilst washing their hands? It could have been much worse. You reckon? Oh yes, indeed. How? Have you seen how much toilet paper they have squirreled away? Oh. M. G. Please tell me Timmy doesn't think they need supervising with that? Not yet, but there's always scope for adding it in a future update. <laughs>